It's time for Branding Business, the only show that brings branding experts and corporate executives together to explore how branding your business can improve both your top-line growth and bottom-line performance. Brought to you by Rikus Baird. And now, here's your host. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Ryan Rikus of Rikus Baird, and welcome to Branding Business. Today our topic is branding early stage companies and our first guest is Casper Zublin. I met Casper a number of years ago through YPO and over the last few years he's sold a business, become CEO of a publicly traded company and has launched a new startup. So Casper uh, you certainly have a number of different business experiences that our li- listeners would love to hear. Maybe you can give me a quick overview of, of your background and that will kind of set the stage for our, our discussion today. Great. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, my background, I'd say, is a bit varied. I've been in several different industries, everything from uh, systems integration and enterprise software to insurance and the staffing industry. Uh, from a role perspective, been chief executive, and I've also been founder and entrepreneur. So I've been on both sides of that table. Well, specifically around the, the topic of an entrepreneur, you have started businesses and then and then sold them. So how do you go about the process of identifying new business opportunities? <laughs> That's a great question. That's like the million-dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, all I can really share is just my experience with it. And it was, uh, I was in the midst of doing something else. Uh, I was in the midst of uh, building a real estate business. And uh, there, a problem arose. And it, I was really quite vexed by this problem. And I said, you know, there's got to be a better solution to this. So I, I kind of crafted a one-off solution. And at the end of it, everyone looked around the table and said, that's really, that's really clever. And I remember going home thinking, you know, there's probably a market for that. And uh, unfortunately, I may, or maybe fortunately, we'll find out here, it took about 12 years to act on that, that insight. But it was just a problem that was in the course of doing something else. So it begins with just identifying a need and then doing a little research to see if that, uh, that, that, that opportunity can actually present itself to a much bigger audience. So tell me about your, your most recent business concept, uh, Asterisk Financial. How, how did you identify that specific need? Uh, well, that, I think I was just referring to that in the last question. But, you know, we were in a real estate deal, and uh, we got down to get the loan, and it was a $5 million loan, and there was four of us in the deal. And we all had to sign what was known as a joint and several personal guarantee. And I I did not understand what joint and several meant, so I asked the attorneys, and they said each of us was on the hook for 100% of the debt should the business fail. And I thought to myself, being on the hook for 100% of $5 million wasn't my idea of fun. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I started thinking about it a little deeper, and there was another member of the, the... of the uh, partnership, and he was worth a great deal of money. And I thought, you know, if they're going to go after anybody, they're probably going to go after him first. So uh, I ended up talking to him about basically trading some of my equity in the deal for him telling the bank to let me off of the personal guarantee. So I basically figured out a little risk arbitrage, and so I gave up a little bit of my upside to get rid of 100% of my downside. And, And so it's what I mentioned a moment ago. I wasn't sitting in a room kind of by myself looking at markets and reading the Internet. 
I was in the middle of solving one business problem, uh, actually trying to move forward one business when this problem occurred, and it struck me that you know there's probably a, a market for this, and uh, that's how that that the genesis for what Astros Financial became, which was personal guarantee insurance, it came from that you know that situation. So basically, this idea of transferring personal risk uh, obviously worked for you. And so how did you go about evaluating whether it would work for other entrepreneurs or business owners? Or was there demand for this concept? How, how did you go about evaluating the marketplace? Well, that, that, that was a, a much longer process. I think, was it Edison who says it's 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration, something like that? <laughs> uh, I like to tell people it takes about 30 seconds for me to kind of say, hey, there should be this thing called personal guarantee insurance. That was the easy part of the whole project. Uh, next step is you're asking, how did you figure out was there demand? Well, we started with just talking to other business owners. So I actually sat down with, with probably between 100 to 200 business owners with personal guarantees, and I interviewed them. I just spent a lot of time talking to people and said, well, what do you do about it? If you had a product, would you do something about getting rid of that risk? Does it keep you up at night? And so we started off with kind of this, you know, I'd say kind of an intense focus on the market with people that would probably be the buyers of it. And um, then we moved from a more, I don't know, I'm not quite sure what you'd call that in marketing terms, I'd say almost uh, grassroots kind of effort into a more formalized market research effort. And, uh, you know, both of those, we learned a lot from both the more formalized market research effort as well as this talking to lots of uh, end users. Um, and then there were also the banks, right? So we had to talk to a bunch of banks. So we, we formed a community bank uh, council. We had CEOs of several community banks advise us and tell us their thoughts on it. We did the same thing with attorneys and all, all the other influencers, insurance brokers and CPAs. So there was just a lot of conversations to have to kind of sort through was there demand, was there support, how would the product have to be crafted. Um, it was one of those things that, again, I, I think it was that 1% was, took about a minute to think of the idea, and then it took years of effort and manpower to kind of craft it into a product that, that would be suitable for a market. And that meant, that, meant, that meant we were asking lots and lots of questions. So you start by asking these questions yourself and really talking to other business owners as well as influencers. And then eventually uh, you evaluated the prospect of, of reaching out to uh, potential business owners as, as buyers, right? That's and, correct. Uh, how did you go about that process of, of selecting uh, a research firm or a rain firm or an ad agency to help you throughout that that that's sure, work. Sure. Well, you know, Ryan, uh, this is where, you know, having friends in high places really pays off. And my, the friend I'm thinking <laughs> of was uh, yourself. <laughs> Has anyone ever told you you, were, you occupied a high place in life? Only uh, you, Casper. Only me. Well, <laughs> you know, your, your firm is a well-known firm, and uh, I had had a, a chance in a previous uh, reincarnation of my of my career to to use your firm and so I actually went asking for help and it wasn't just you I asked for help I asked a lot of people in the in the, this area for help and we sat down with a lot of different smart people 
and did a lot of vetting, and we ended up uh, you, you ended up bringing a resource to the table. So uh, the Ricus Baird firm brought a firm by the name of Socratic Technologies to the table, who had pioneered some use of the internet for some for some very quantitative survey results, and uh, we ended up creating a. Uh, I guess I think of it as a cartoon video that really demonstrates the the, the product without any selling that we then were able to show people what it was and then uh, survey them in a very objective manner and get some you know, very quantitative results on top of all of the, uh, I guess, qualitative results that we had done from our actual belly-to-belly conversations. And you know, if those results yielded some, some very interesting insights that the belly-to-belly conversations had not yielded. And so, you know, we felt like we really uh, were beginning to get an understanding of the market, the demand, potential pricing. Um, and, uh, you know, these were all questions that when, you know, it's a brand new product, it's truly a blue ocean product. Um, you know, you don't have, you know, everyone wants to have a blue ocean product, but, you know, when you have a blue ocean product, there is nothing to go by. There's no plagiarism allowed because no one's walked the ground before you. So that you need a lot of counselors around you that that understand that, and we can and can add both the quantitative aspect as well as the qualitative aspect to help you sort through how to how to bring that product to market, how to price it, how to organize it, how to message it, all of those things. I mean, it became a uh, a huge endeavor, probably an endeavor we spent close to a year of work on. Just curious. Uh of course, the research came back and validated that there was a need for. But what would you have done if if the research would have said, you know, there really isn't a need for this product? Well, we would have probably stopped spending money. I'll be. I think I, I, that would be the answer. Um, you know, one of uh, one of my favorite uh, business executives uh, has this line about third party vets, and pretty much any important decision in the business that he runs, he conducts a third party vet. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you're looking for is not consistent information you're looking for inconsistent non-conforming data so if all the belly to belly told us there was a market and the quantitative said there wasn't a market you got some pretty powerful non-conforming data to your hypothesis um, and you know non-conforming data frankly is the most valuable it's the data that can save you money or make you a lot of money so frankly had the data been non-conforming we, we probably would have focused even more intently on it and that decision may have led to either adjusting our plans or, you know, not moving forward with the product at all. Mm-hmm. Well, I know certain adjustments were made after that research uh, came back, but in this case, the, the business concept was validated and, and that there was a perceived need and, and uh, a good business model could be built around it. So I'm just curious, um, there were probably a lot of thoughts going through your mind at that time. Do you, you know, focus on hiring your team Start raising uh, money, or or do you really? Uh, how do you think about the brand? Is that is that something that was important to you at that stage that you need to figure out the brand's promise first before raising money and hiring uh, your team? Or because most people, I think, immediately, often I should say, think about how they're going to go to market and and uh, and start raising that money and 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 so forth. But give me a little feedback on on what went through your mind and how you approached it. Well, you know, the answer to all great questions in this life is it depends. <laughs> of course of course right and you know the the answer of whether you know you should focus on brand or you know the management team or the go to market 
you know, when you're in an early stage, the question of what's next is always a, a question that is hotly debated um, and, and rarely obvious, the answer. Uh, what I tell you is, in this particular case, we decided that brand was ultimately very important. Um, it was a blue ocean product. Uh, we thought the market was a multi-billion dollar market opportunity. We felt that there was indeed that upon, uh, as soon as we started getting traction in the market, that we would uh, see competitors within one to two years. We felt that having a strong brand uh, identity was going to help us not only with uh, on the internet side of the world, but with uh, you know the, the really claiming the first position in the market. So in our particular case, because we thought it was a it was a big idea, big market opportunity, we decided the brand in fact was an important next step. So we started working directly with uh, the Rikus Baird team, and I, I think there was half a dozen members of, of the Rikus Baird team that we worked with, each filling a very valuable role for us, helping us think through everything from the name to the visual identity to vision and purpose and mission and you know all of those things that add much clarity to the core message and then self-reinforcing. Um, because we felt we had a big idea. Uh, I'm not sure if we would have gone down that path had the idea been a small idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, it felt like it was very much appropriate that, you know, you. and I think one of the board members asked a great question at a board meeting, and I think it's relevant to this conversation. He, I very much recall that him asking this question. He stopped and he said, how do you treat a $100 million idea? With what care and tension and love and effort do you treat a $100 million idea versus a million-dollar idea or a $10 idea? Great question. And we all felt this was a $100 million idea, and so that frame of reference really drove how we did everything with the project, frankly, from the management team to the branding to the research. Everything we did, we actually said, we've got a very valuable idea. How do we treat that something that has such value? So in your case, you obviously took a look at the brand first. So um, that could probably vary. Maybe other startups might not approach it in that manner. Um, but how did you use the brand then to benefit you in the process of raising capital or hiring the executives or finding the right business partners? Well, you, you know, that, that's a big question. Let's start with the raising the capital and then, you know, go on okay. to business partners and, and, and perhaps, you know, employees and others. Uh, you know, on the raising capital side, the process of creating a brand is a process of distillation of, uh, of really, it's a distillation process. And the distillation results in both a uh, verbal and visual ability to communicate what it is you are and what it is you're doing in very few words and very succinct imagery. Okay, That's the net result of a good brand. It stands for something. It's imbued with meaning, and it has inherent meaning. Uh, asterisk financial is because if you have a personal guarantee, there's an asterisk in your life, period. It's a very subtle way to remind people that, in fact, that's what it, that's what it is. 
You know, a personal guarantee is an omission of risk. An asterisk is an omission of thought. Um, when we go to raise capital and we have the ability to articulate that in a meaningful, powerful, simple, and direct manner, people with money respond. When you say something and it's complex, and as I like to say, uh, it's wordy and verbose, <laughs> right? You don't raise money. Complexity rarely raises money. It's a simple, direct concept, idea that people identify with in the first 30 seconds, and then they're, then they're verifying everything else from that first initial thought. So the brand process really, I think in my mind, has a very tangible effect on the capital raise process. But it's, it's, it's not the brochure that the brand produces. It's the distillation of the, uh, of the articulation and of the imagery that supports that articulation of what it is you're all about. Um, on, on the management side, of, of the, if it helps when you can convey to the, the management team that you're trying to build what it is you're all about, uh, and they identify with that. Um, it's uh, one of my one of my, one of the, my kind of my thoughts that I've had and I've seen in a lot of businesses is, you know, uh, the man that puts a stake in the ground causes the world to revolve around it. Branding helps you place a stake in the ground. And whether it's raising capital or attracting the right management team members um, or the right employees later on, it's that stake in the ground that you're asking the world to revolve around your worldview. And I think branding has got uh, an important element to, to say about that particular activity. How about the business partners? How important was the uh, brand clarity for like an insurance carrier to, to be aligned with you? Yeah, I... I, I Good, good point there. You know, we we had to take an, a, a brand new insurance product and convince an insurance uh, regulated insurance company with an A rating and a multi billion dollar balance sheet to bet their balance sheet on this concept. Our ability to kind of show who we were, and I think the management team from their perspective was probably the most important element. But I think second was our processes and our ability to identify and say this is who we are and this is what we stand for and this is our product. And it, it, it was a complete package. If, that, if an element of that package was missing, I think it would severely have reduced our chances of uh, landing our insurance company or, frankly, any other of our business partners because we have many. So I, I think it had a role to play there of making a complete package. Well, you mentioned a moment ago that um, you're able to put a stake in the ground. So you had a unique opportunity to create a category of a business model that didn't exist before. So give us a little bit of an overview of how you went about uh, protecting that category and and, uh, and your thought process of owning that category so that others can't uh, eventually you know, also uh, make their own claims. Right, right. It is. It's probably one of the few times in my career I have we had the opportunity to be part of uh, creating a brand new category, and then you know, obviously becoming uh, looking to become number one in that category. Um, so, you know, how do I respond to that? The 
Ryan, do me a favor. State the question again, because I've got like three different answers in my head, and I don't want to mislead your listeners here. So, would you help me out? Well, I was just thinking, yeah, I was just thinking of uh, sharing some of the things that you did to claim ownership to that category. I mean, you, uh, you went out, sure. I know, bought a lot of URLs, uh, you know, yep. personalguarantee.com, yep. for example, and, and well, there's uh, so the intellectual you know, property side of that, right? So, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Maybe you can so just we, talk a little bit about that, because I think it's, I think okay. our listeners would be interested. Well, in that. we 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 really worked from. You know, all angles of intellectual property. Um, we worked from a patent perspective. We worked from a copyright perspective. We worked from a domain name perspective. Um, we worked from a trademark perspective. We were actually able to gain uh, trademark personal guarantee insurance. Um, so we really took advantage of every every way we could create a barrier to entry. And I think sometimes the word barrier to entry and, and kind of how you protect the brand and uh, is, is a little bit misleading because we all think of buried entry and we immediately see the moat. We thought about it as kind of layers of defense, razor wire, glass embedded on top of a wall, maybe a moat, but maybe we only had one alligator in the moat versus a bunch of alligators. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. few, few businesses have that deep, wide moat patrolled by a 1,000 alligators. Okay, So we were trying to simply add layer upon layer just making it painful for someone to compete with us. Okay, maybe not impossible, but painful. Um, we also ultimately felt that at the end of the day, personal guarantee insurance was u- enough unique. There was enough unique differences in the business insurance or the specialty insurance market that, in fact, the brand was going to be extremely valuable in the end as a competitive weapon. That if people thought of asterisk and personal guarantee insurance in the same breath. And, and, and that that, in fact, would be among the, the, the more significant of competitive, um, you know, uh, barriers that we could erect. So we did spend a fair amount of time thinking about that. Well, it seems like you protected it quite well. And uh, I think the name, Asterisk Financial, you spoke a moment ago about uh, this concept of omission of risk. Uh, for those of uh, listeners who have not gone through the process of naming a company, uh, it is a very emotional <laughs> process. Maybe you can give everybody just a little overview of, of uh, how you approach the process and some of the, uh, the emotional considerations that uh, went through the minds of yourself and your, and your team. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like, it's like naming your brand-new you know, Labrador Retriever. You know, every, everyone falls in love with the first name and... and, and, and you know, there's there's probably there are lots of decisions in, in business that have lots of emotion. Uh, changing offices has a lot of emotion, <laughs> but I think naming a product or naming a business carries probably among the most emotion. Um, you know, what I guess my my experience would suggest, and any counsel I would probably give, is simply treat each name as a hypothesis. Run it through what you're actually trying to achieve. And don't let the, uh, the, you know, the wife of the CEO have input. And it's also not a democracy. Um, I read a book recently called Tuned In, uh, which is about launching a new product. Uh, I'd highly recommend it to your readers. Uh, I thought it was a great organized process for not only uh, product creation but product launch. Um, they have this great line in that book about, uh, while your opinion is valued, it's irrelevant. <laughs> And in the naming thing, a lot of people are going to want to put in their two cents worth, and uh, their opinion is probably irrelevant. Um, the professionals should be handling the naming. 
Um, and unfortunately, what happens in my experience is a lot of times the name gets gets kicked around for all the all all reasons outside of good business reasons. There are professionals that do naming that uh, keep the emotion at bay and keep focused on the business objective. And uh, I would very much encourage people to 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 approach this rational and level-headed as as any any business activity that you're trying to achieve something with. Well, Casper, I. I really appreciate your point of view on this, and uh, I think you, you captured it quite well. I think uh, our experience tells us that it isn't a democracy, that uh, the leader of the organization and maybe the core team needs to make the final decision, and uh, other opinions are irrelevant because the, the name is given meaning over time, and that's what the brand does. So uh, I have just a couple more questions for you, and we'll wrap things up here. Uh, so now you have this great executive team in place. What, what is your role? <laughs> Sidekick. <laughs> you know, in, in, for Astros Financial, I am a board member, and I, I serve a, as an honorary uh, role as uh, co-founder and, and invent, inventor of personal guarantee insurance. I have two other co-founders that we never would have got the company launched without uh, Mark Ricciardelli and Andy Graham, and they are also co-founders. Um, I, I, I kind of carry the, 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 the name inventor because... You know, it does. It does generally start with one guy sitting at his desk by himself. Uh, that was me, but it was only me for about three or four months, and then my other co-founders joined me. and And it took the efforts and, and talents of of three different uh, uh, skilled and and uh, senior executives to make this happen. And so all of us are are really co-founders of the business. So I kind of okay. do do some do some speaking and help the company out, but I'm mainly a board member. Uh, it's interesting, though I'm, I've been a CEO of lots of companies, uh, I wasn't qualified to be CEO of a company that I actually had the idea to start, and it's because insurance is a regulated industry. Um, it has lots of elements to it that uh, unless you're an industry CEO, you really don't have the background, no matter how successful you may have been in any other industry, to run an insurance company. These are unique animals. They have to be treated that way and with a great deal of respect regarding how they, they were. So, you know, we, we brought in uh, a very senior CEO, uh, Mark Ricciardelli, who's also we consider co-founder of the business because he was in pretty early. He started working with us, I think, eighth or ninth month from the time that I started sitting in the, at, looking at the computer screen uh, by myself. So, and he joined us, I believe, about a year into the project. But he, uh, we had, we had about four or five months of conversation before he actually joined us. But Mark definitely is one of the co-founders and of the, of the business, and has contributed an enormous amount. So, all right. So my last question: Who, whose responsibility is the brand today? Then, ah, uh, you know, again, because I think brand is important to Asterisk Financial and personal guarantee insurance and creating that market. I think brand is, on a day-to-day basis, owned by our chief marketing officer. I think, though, at the end of the day, if it's a buck stop here, it really is all the way to a board level. Um, you know, and uh, there are many conversations with the board about our brand and extending a brand and imbuing the brand uh, because it is such a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, we're creating a new product category. If it was a new product within an existing category, I'm not sure if it would rise to a board level. But this is certainly a, a you know CEO board part of our our ongoing discussions. All right. Well, that's a great point of view. Well, Cap. Uh, in summary, here's a few takeaways that I picked up today. That uh, in your case, 
it was it made sense to start thinking about the brand early as it related to raising capital, hiring the right executives, getting uh, the uh, business partners aligned. And then also in your case, because of the circumstances, uh, it made sense to bring in the executive team and, and let them take the business forward. So interesting points of view. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for being a, a guest on Branding Business. Any final thoughts or insights to share with our listeners? No, I really appreciate your time. Uh, good questions. I uh, always enjoy sharing my experiences, and they can uh, be valuable to somebody else. Uh, that's, that makes it even better. Thank you, Ryan. Okay. Well, sure. Hey, real quickly, if, um, if listeners have questions of you, how would they reach you? Do you have a website, an email, phone number you could share? Sure. Uh, email is just casper at casperzublin.com, and uh, that's the best way for people to contact me. And uh, and uh, look forward to be happy to answer any questions or follow-up questions that people may have. Casper, thanks again for being a guest on Brandy Business. And uh, we'll be right back with our next guest. There's something happening out there today. All across America, we're seeing encouraging signs of economic recovery. Businesses are once again thinking about new growth. And new opportunities are emerging. But it raises the question, is your company positioned to take full advantage of the economic recovery and the opportunities it presents? Maybe it's time to ask, how has the recession impacted your business model? Is your business as relevant as it once was? Should you consider entering new markets or expanding into new categories? And what do customers really value about their relationship with you? The golden thread through all these questions and the answer to each and every one of them can be found in just one place. Your brand. It's much deeper than your logo and much bigger than your advertising. Your brand is the enabler of your entire business strategy. Rika's Baird is a brand strategy firm that can help. They specialize in business branding. They've helped hundreds of companies from startups to Fortune 500 leverage their brands to drive growth. They can do the same for yours. It's really quite simple. Find out more, just visit brandingbusiness.com. That's www.brandingbusiness.com. And plant the seed for economic growth. Well, continuing on this show's theme of branding early stage companies, our next guest is Gary Green. CEO of Liberty Synergistics and its newest company, Evoke. Now, in full transparency, uh, I've known Gary for a number of years, and our firm, Rika Spirit, actually helped Gary validate the business strategy and define its brand for this new company, Evoke, which is currently being launched. So before we get into the details of this new venture, Gary, maybe you can give us a little background of uh, your role at Liberty Synergistics and this new company? Sure. Uh, my background at Liberty Synergistics, I've been with the company for 10-plus uh, for years, uh, in various capacities, uh, from sales, uh, marketing, uh, vice president of sales and marketing. And in 2006, the, uh, the founder asked uh, that I become uh, president and take over uh, the strategy and, and uh, leadership of the organization. So Liberty Synergistics has been around for 27-plus years and uh, DBAing under the name Liberty Photo Products. Liberty Photo Products uh, is a distribution company of uh, lab support products going into major drug and grocery uh, stores across the, the nation as well as, uh, you know, here locally uh, to support the photo labs. Uh, and uh, 
we realized that you know because of the some of the trends uh, and some of the opportunities that presented themselves in the market that there was a uh, a need to uh, you know augment the business with uh, some manufacturing capabilities and i'd be happy to talk more about that well along that same line there yeah, a number of factors are forcing many businesses to reinvent themselves uh, to consistently remain relevant. And you were kind of alluding to the fact that your industry is requiring you to do that. Did you did you consider changing the parent company, or uh, was the focus initially just to uh, continue with this thought of a, a spinoff such as Evoke? Well, you know, Liberty Photo Products is uh, you know is a thriving entity. Uh, it's a distribution company um, with you know. A, you know a lot of brand equity um, and uh, you know we're very well known within the photo uh, photo imaging channel um, but there are some uh, you know out, outlanding uh, opportunities that are very very close to the current business that have a much bigger market for us and uh, the idea was to you know really leverage the current business and branding and then augment um, and we weren't at the, at the time that we uh, first started talking with with uh, Rikus Baird. You know, we weren't sure if we needed a new brand, so that was actually part of um, you know part of the process in developing the new opportunity for us. Well, how did you go about the process of selecting a firm? And you uh, you, you probably could have gone with research firms or business consultants or branding firms or. Uh, you know, a variety of different companies to help you. Just, I'm curious, how, cause I never asked you this. How, how did you go about the process of selecting a firm? Sure. Uh, well, for us, you know, I, I mean, I, I am part of, uh, you know, I've known, uh, I've known you, Ryan, for many years, and, uh, I've always felt comfortable working with you, uh, in our discussions, and, uh, you know, I think you have to be comfortable with whoever you're talking to. They have to be able to sort of get, get it, even, even get the stuff that you may not be saying, and, uh, Sorry, my cell phone was ringing. Uh, we want to re- want to start with that one over. I would say just ask the question again. I'll try and piece it together. So just count to like two and then start. Okay, one, two. So Gary, yeah, I'm just curious. Never asked you this question before. How did you go about the process of selecting a uh, strategic partner to help you with this this new endeavor? Did you did you look at business consultants or research firms or branding firms or ad agencies? Uh, what went through your mind, and how did you go about this process? Sure. Well, you know, I'm I'm a part of a network, uh, you know, YPO, and uh, I know you are as well. And uh, being able to talk with uh, you know other presidents that have gone through the process. Uh, you know, you have a great reputation, and uh, after you know meeting you several times uh, with respect to this project, um, you know certainly felt comfortable uh, with you in describing really the state of Liberty uh, Synergistics and some of the challenges that we face, and some of the opportunities that we're looking at, and just making sure that you know you're a company that we can work with, that you get it, that you can help us. Number one, help us validate our strategy, but then two, help us get there. And I think it's really important to to uh, to address some of those those fundamental issues at the outset. Well, good. Thanks for that feedback. I appreciate it. And, and it is people, you know, working with people, and you have to feel comfortable and confident that uh, you know you're getting the uh, the right type of uh, team in place. So I appreciate that feedback. So let's let's talk more specifically about your new venture, Evoke. 
how did you identify this new business concept and uh, the need for this uh, opportunity in the marketplace? Sure. Well, you know, specifically, uh, I'll talk a little bit about um, you know, Liberty Photo Products. We uh, we supply, uh, as I said, we supply these these major drug and grocery stores with their lab support products, and some of the products are actually supporting um, the Evoke brand. They they could be a substrate or a blank product um, that then get manufactured later on to the value chain. And we were always finding that um, in the current business, it, it's very uh, it, it needs some rejuvenation, and so. Uh, in some of our discussions with um, with one of the major retailers uh, about where we saw the future of of printing and uh, you know the photo channel, eventually they they said, well, why don't you start making these products for us? And uh, and so we you know we've always been one to you know be on the pulse of of our customers' needs, and we kind of sat back and and we we evaluated uh, the market as a whole, and then really decided you know hey is this is this a market that we should you know target and how big is the market and could we make it better and bigger and you know faster and all the all the other things so we sat back and uh, if you look at the photo the photo gifting channel it's about a 1.2 billion dollar market but if you if you if you only look at the photo gifting and you don't realize that uh, you're you're basically there's these peripheral or outside uh, markets, whether it's apparel or home decor, you can take that 1.2 billion dollar market and open it up to be, you know, to, I mean, we've yet to identify exactly how big the market. But even stationary, for example, I think stationary is between a 12 and 14 billion dollar market. We have to capture a very small percent and make those, that stationary, those greeting cards personalized, and now you're talking about a nice, nice business. So leveraging the existing customer base. And then building on that, um, I think, has been you know vital to our strategy. Well, maybe we can dig a little bit deeper on that. So, for our listeners' benefit, how did the brand strategy process help you define the market opportunity and and really identify the sweet spot in the market for this new venture? Sure. Well, you know, when we when we uh, when we hired Ricus Barrett, it was really important for us uh, in our discussions with Ricus Barrett to well help us validate some of some of our assumptions. And uh, we wanted to make sure that one, there was a market there for us, and uh, and then two, how do we, uh, you know, brand the new company? One, does it need to be a new name? And and two, what does it need to look like going forward? So, uh, Ricus Baird engaged in, in internal interviews and uh, external interviews with uh, vendors, uh, customers, and in some cases, competitors that uh, you know had no problem sharing. You know what their their view of liberty, their view of the market, and even helping validate some of our strategy. And that was first and foremost. All right. So throughout that process, what where do you think you got the greatest benefit? Well, you know, there's a there's a risk in um, in just assuming that you understand what your customers uh, think of you. And uh, I think the greatest benefit was, number one, identifying where your strengths are. I mean, truly identifying where your strengths are. And having an outside firm do that for you, you know, it, it, it's amazing what uh, customers and, uh, and in, in our case, even some competitors, how open they were with a third party like Rikus Baird. And then, two, uh, how can you build on your current on your current brand to uh, to really augment and make sure that you're relevant 
in the new uh, endeavor. And in our case, you know, in the new uh, what we were what we were calling Newco and what we now call Evoke. Gary, and, I think you're right. To say uh, that we have you, you, we have you, found you, as well that it uh, your your audience, your target market, your customers, et cetera, will will tell a third party uh, a lot more information than they always will the uh, the client is at the same time. That's right. So. Maybe you can also give our listeners a, your point of view of, you know, when should a, a startup uh, begin thinking about and clarifying their brand? Because there's a lot of different uh, schools of thought around this. Any tips or uh, guidance? Yeah, I, I really think that you want to clarify uh, your your brand. You know, very. I mean, it's actually it's tied into your strategy. So, uh, you know, they, they they all kind of run together. You you develop first. You want to you want to make sure that you've got a business there. But even as you develop your brand. That's part of validating your initial your your initial beliefs and your initial strategy. Two, you don't you don't want false starts, and so you know part of that branding process is to validate validate those assumptions, and uh, you know come out of the gates with a clear understanding about who you are and and what com- how you want to communicate to, uh, to to the stakeholders, including those within your organization. They they have to be very clear on that. If all systems are operating together at the beginning, uh, I think that you're going to minimize, uh, you know, any any false starts. Yeah, good good feedback. So you you spoke about this earlier on, but as a legacy B two B company, uh, early on you decided to align yourself with other business partners, and and sometimes startups are can be viewed risky uh, by these partners throughout the supply chain. So what was the role of the parent company Liberty Synergistics in in really providing credibility for this new startup? Right. Well, you know, Liberty Synergistics, we, we've been in business for 27 years, and uh, we've successfully served, you know, some of the top major brands, uh, you know, in the country, including Kodak, uh, Walgreens, CVS, Costco, uh, many of the regional uh, drug and grocery stores. And, you know, we, we have you know, 8,000 different products in our lineup. We have uh, distribution points in, in multiple uh, locations in the country. And there's a great heritage and a great story there. And I think the, the, the idea is you want to pull out the aspects of that story that transfer in your future and make sure that they remain, you know, evident uh, in the new brand. As well, as you, as you go through this process, you realize that there may be some, uh, you know, strengths in the organization that uh, you can actually build on and, uh, and, and, and really augment. It's really about telling a story. And, and even when you're talking to um, you know, a potential investor or uh, somebody that's important to your supply chain, um, they want to know about that story. And so when they see a new brand or they see a you know, 27-year history of successfully serving these major brands, you know, they want to be a part of it. Yeah, so you were able to leverage that and utilize it in in telling the more complete story, the the um, the strength and credibility of the parent company, and then the opportunity ahead of it. So, then in in turn, the brand really helped you in in the areas of uh, possibly finding the right business partners or or hiring the right executives. Maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you're a startup, you're basically. Uh, you know, you're 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 telling a story about what can be or what could be, and while it's possible to do that, people do it all the time. Um, when you can refer back to, you know, actual uh, 
experience uh, what we've done in the past, how we've been able to uh, reinvent or overcome challenges. Uh, that's who we are. It's in our DNA. And, and whether it's an, it's, it's an older part of our business or a newer part of a business, those fundamentals transfer. And I think that, you know, as we tell the story of our past and we talk about the future, they all transfer and they add credibility to to the story. That goes for, you know, obviously if you're bringing in a key executive or um, you're, you're talking to a, a, a key supplier and you're wanting to be uh, treated as, as if you're, you're already in the business, telling the story is really important. And, um, and then having them buy into that story and understanding it completely uh, and, and identifying where, where you know, this is where we were and this is where we're going, and you can see how they're all linked together, uh, it's, it's important. And I, I know, you know, after hiring some key executives in the organization, you can see their, their eyes light up. Even those that, candidates that, you know, didn't, uh, didn't make it on board, there's, uh, there's a certain amount of excitement that you see in people's eyes when they get it, when they understand the story. Yeah, so you were able to utilize that story with your business partners, with firing, hiring the right people, as well as telling the story internally to your existing team. So Absolutely. Uh, well done. Um, so you're in the process of officially launching this new company. Any advice to give others who are in the process of starting a new business? Oh, uh, well, yeah. The... Uh you know, I think that I think that one, you want to validate all your assumptions with as many stakeholders as possible. If even at the, you know, if you have to leverage an outside firm to help you do that, I think that's really important. Um, you know, we often operate in silos, and uh, getting as many, uh, you know, talking to as many people, customers, prospective customers. Uh, vendors, um, you know, even outside firms like Ricky Spirit, I think is, is extremely important. The other is that, you know, strategy, uh, we think of, uh, of, you know, you write a business plan and it's, it's, it's baked and then you execute. And that's all really, you know, that's all true. Um, but it's, it's important that there remains a certain amount of flexibility and understanding that strategy is also an iterative process. And, and that goes whether, you know, whether you're a startup or you're, you've been in business for 27 years, your strategy is always evolving. And I think it's important that you remain flexible and you listen to those around you because even after all the validation you go through, it's still uh, an ongoing process. And at the pace of business today, uh, what you think is, uh, holds true you know, you know, even two months ago may not, be, may not hold true today. I think that is fantastic advice. And, uh, Gary, I'd definitely like to have you back as a guest in about a year or so to see uh, the progress you've made. And I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to share a lot of different advice to, uh, to others on your experience over that time. Yes, we'd love so to I, do that. Perfect. So I always like to ask this question. Who in your organization is responsible for the brand? Is it, is it the CEO or, or is it a marketing exec or is it someone else? Sure. Uh, I would say it's me. I would say it's uh, ultimately it's my responsibility, and um, certainly you collaborate, uh, you sincerely collaborate with uh, your marketing, and I would say you collaborate with all leadership because um, you know once that uh, strategy gets defined, you want to make sure that everyone in the organization uh, fully understands uh, the, the brand, uh, its personality, and uh, and where you're taking it. 
Well, Gary, you've given uh, our listeners a lot of great insights, uh, a few that I'd like to just uh, comment on. You, you spoke of validating assumptions and getting insights from the marketplace. I think that's very valuable. And you also spoke about having a strategy but be flexible as this strategy evolves. And, and in order to accomplish that, you have to listen to your audience and find out where the brand and the, and the strategy can go. So I think those are tremendous benefits to pass on. So. Gary, thank you for being a guest on Brandy Business. Any final thoughts or insights to share with our listeners? No, I just uh, I think that uh, it's it's a fun process, and I think it's an important process. And um, you know, for, for any of those that uh, you know, have questions or want to get some insight, I'm welcome to uh, to reach out and, and offer up uh, any of my experiences that I can. Okay, very good. Well, hey, if listeners want to get a hold of you, have any other questions, how would they reach you? Could you give us uh, your either website or any way? Sure, I'll give my email address. You? It's uh, ggreen at libertysynergistics.com. Okay. And what about uh, the Evoke? Uh, you know, you're launching the brand, but uh, yes, we're going to have these, uh, these uh, as archives so people could uh, – could visit the uh, the website in the future. Certainly, that uh, is is launching here any day, and that is uh, www.evokenow.com. That's i v o k e now.com. Perfect, Gary. Thank you. And uh, for for our listeners, you've been listening to Rika Spar- uh, Branding Business with Rika Spared. Sorry. To learn more about the show, please visit brandingbusiness.com. Thank you. You've been listening to Branding Business, the only show that brings branding experts and corporate executives together to explore how branding your business can improve both your top-line growth and bottom-line performance. To hear more, simply visit our website, brandingbusiness.com, or tune in next week to learn how you, too, can build your brand and move your business forward. Brought to you by Rikus Baird.